Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chefs Fest. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Joining us today is entrepreneur Julia Joseph. Julia is co-founder and head of branding and creative at Maple Hill Creamery for the past 13 years since its founding. Maple Hill's mission is to bring healthy, organic, 100% grass-fed dairy products to families across the United States. Prior to starting Maple Hill, she was in the real estate and art industries. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to have you here. Um, been around for 13 years, so mm-hmm. uh, things I think are going well for you. And, and if I'm correct, you're located up kind of north of, on the hubs, Hudson, right? It must be beautiful there. Yep, yep, you got it. We're, um, our farms are in western New York, like Utica, Syracuse, Finger Lakes area. And then I'm located in Kinderhook, which is uh, just on the Hudson River, 25 miles south of Albany. Beautiful, beautiful Hudson Valley. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> area out there. Yes. Uh, so talk a little bit about Maple Hill and why you founded the, the company. Sure. So uh, Maple Hill is the original and the largest 100% grass-fed organic dairy company in the U.S. today. Um, we founded it in 2009 with my brother and my brother, Tim Joseph and Peter Meck. Um, and we founded it with Tim's farm, Stone Creek farm. So we had one farm to start. Um, and when we started, we were definitely the outliers, the dairy, the disruptors in the dairy industry, um, not just on shelf and what we are offering, but also in the farming community. Um, so we were the black sheep from the beginning. Um, we were told we weren't able to produce enough milk, um, with our cows, uh, just feeding them grass, uh, hundred percent grass year rounds. Um, ironically, that is what they are supposed to be eating. So, (laughs) so we were told by many conventional farmers and organic farmers that hundred percent grass that organic was not possible to have your cows thrive and create enough milk. And 13 years later, we went from one farm to 140 small family farms in New York that were just as crazy as we were (laughs) to jump out of that conventional box of feeding your cows corn and grain and industrialized farming. Um, And we uh, took those farms on and we now supply our products nationwide in 7,000 stores, um, including Amazon. So we're a regional milk supply, but but supplying our brand nationally to consumers. Way, way to prove them wrong. With, right. It feels r- pretty relying good. Relying on nature. <laughs> Definitely a, feels good. A novel idea to rely on nature. Uh, right. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to I talk a lot about the nature of organic and, yeah. and, and we'll get into what that is. But let's talk about the farms. Uh, so yeah. over 100, I think you said 140. Yeah. You know, you say small family farm. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it means nothing to me. I don't know it. I don't understand it. Describe to me what a, a small family farm is, how it operates. And then, you know, a, a, a question I have is how many cows makes a small family farm? So I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if it's five, 50, 500. Talk mm-hmm. about some of those farmers. And, um, you know, if we, if we considered it to be a small, to be a definition, you know, what defines a small family farm? And uh, so that, you know, a, that a general layperson could understand. Sure. So um, 100% grass-fed organic dairy farming um, is usually done on a small scale because it's managed every day by the farms and the cows. Um, There's a pasture rotation that happens during the growing season for the cows. Um, So in order to keep the the pastures 
thriving and regenerating, we rotate our cows on pasture. And usually on our farms, there's 50 to 80 farm, 50 to 80 cows on the farm. And that's small for a dairy farm. Um, industrialized farming is usually about 100 to 200 cows, sometimes thousands of cows. And so these cows are, when you're on um, a conventional and organic, not 100% grass for organic farm, a lot of times the cows are kept in confined spaces. Um, and so they're kept in tie stalls and the food is brought to them. Um, and so that can you can build your farm up to that vast number of cows um, because you are using equipment to take the corn and grain over to the cows where they're standing all day and then where they're milked, they're moved, and then they're put back in that same space. But when you're 100% grass-fed organic dairy farmer, you're managing your land every single day with the cows. And um, you're not just a dairy farmer, uh, you're also a grass farmer. And so a lot of our farms need to understand, and they do understand, how to create a thriving farm naturally, um, allowing the cows to help manage that pasture just by allowing them to eat the food they are supposed to be eating, which is 100% grass, 365 days out of the year. Um, and so a lot of times the small farm, our, our farms are just 50 to 80 cows because that's a nice, nice size to manage. And it's a good size to manage on the farms and the acreage that they have. So they're able to allow the cows to eat on one acre of grass with 50 to 80 cows in one spot. And then they're moved each day to a fresh piece of pasture. Mm -hmm. um, and so we move the cows to the food instead of the food to the cows which is very different. Um, and then by allowing the cows to be cows, we're facilitating the regeneration of the soil, the grass, the land in general, and just a nice harmonized circle of life within our farms, which is very different. And so when we keep it at a small scale, you're able to do that. I, I think we found a tagline there. We allow cows to be cows. We, um, we use that a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, and, and these these cow farmers, you, they're family owned. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm kind of doing the math here. You they, yeah. they they move. You know, it's fifty per one acre, so they're moving around. Uh, to talk about two things. One is what it means that you're doing business for them. We hear about small farmers. Uh, I think the word struggle is what is probably, at least in the media, most attached to them. Uh, so talk about what it means financially uh, to support them, which is obviously done through you know, consumers purchasing the product. Yeah. And talk about maybe what they were doing before you started working with them. Mm -hmm. And if you were to speculate that if you are not working with them or another, uh, you know, high, very, very, very well-intentioned company like yours was not working with them, what their life and world would be. Paint that picture for us a little bit. So it's not just in the dairy industry and in farming where farmers are struggling. It's across the board. You know, farming is a really difficult industry to be in. Um, a lot of times farms are inherited from family members to family members down the line. And it's just, it's a lot of times it's just what they've known. It's, they want to keep those farms alive. It's, it's the, it's a tradition in their family. It's what they know. And the practice of their farming is also more of a conventional farm, organic farm. Um, I keep saying organic because grass-fed organic is different than organic. So I put the, that organic in the same um, box as conventional, even though one's an orange and one's a pear, they still have very similar 
practices. It's just organic. You don't use pesticides and fertilizers, but you're still feeding them corn and grain and they can still be in a tie stall for 70% of their lives. So a lot of times farmers have inherited that practice of farming. And there are some farmers that have realized that like we did, there is a different way to farm. You go back to the simple way of farming of 100% grass fed, you utilize the land, you let everything work in harmony, and it takes time for that to happen on farms. Once when it's a conventional to organic, and then you transition to 100% grass fed, it takes time and also money. So most farmers are upside down most of the time, either way, because the inputs are higher than the output, unfortunately, with milk prices and corn and grain and just the overhead of a farm. It's very expensive. Um, and so, you know, we were upside down for years. And that's why we started the creamery, because we had to start coming up, up with a different way to hold the value in the milk as opposed to putting it on a milk truck. So... Um, when we transition to grass-fed organic, just like a lot of other farmers have to train, they transition as well, though it came on with Maple Hill. Like I said, there's a financial burden of that. There's a, a multi-year um, rest period on your farm where you have to let the cows start to adapt to that because they were used to the corn and grain and adapt back to their natural diet and produce milk. And when they produce the milk, they're getting pricing on their milk, the farmers of a conventional or organic price, which is still very low for farmers. And so grass-fed organic is a premium milk, and we've created a price point within the dairy industry that's very similar to fair trade chocolate. It's fair trade milk. That's how we we like to think about it. We mm. we you know we're appreciative of the humane treatment of the animals on our farms, letting cows be cows. We're appreciative of the regeneration of the land, 365 days out of the year. The hard work that these farmers put in, it's not easy to be a grass farmer, but it's the right way. It takes more time. It takes more planning. It takes more management. And so when you're purchasing Maple Hill products, you may be purchasing at a bit of a higher price point, but you're purchasing the premium milk and you're purchasing a product that is very conscious of humane treatment of animals, regeneration, and the traceability of our products. So you're supporting 140 small family farms that would be struggling without coming on to 100% grass-fed milk pool, which is our Maple Hill milk shed. Um, you know, it's interesting you talk about about price. Is I feel like, you know, when people talk about prices, prices rising, and it's, mm-hmm. it's you know it's April 2022 right now, so everyone's talking about inflation. But even if we were to set set that aside, I feel like. Milk is one of those, I don't even want to say bellwether. I say it's like first mm-hmm. points of complaint, right? It's gas prices and milk. You know, oh, a gallon of milk is now this. A gallon of milk is, there's, uh, it's it's a little bit inelastic in, at least in our willingness to complain about. And I think it's probably because we consider it essential, right? Most mm-hmm. families do. Yeah. Uh, and it's something you purchase, well, my house every five to six days. You keep her, you, like you know that price, right? Like you, yeah. you, you move that a penny, and and you know it. You notice yeah. it, and and people. I'm not a nutritionist to sit here and say it's essential or not, but it feels essential to people, right? Like mm-hmm. they're gonna get their gallon of milk. This dates back to you know I would say fairly hundreds of years. Uh, yet you offer premium. Uh, I'm not going to try and speak to your price point. I'm sure that it might change it regionally and whatnot, but, uh, 
talk about your audience and uh, I'm, I'm basing this question on an assumption that you're at least a few pennies higher than a normal gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. Talk about your audience and what they're looking for and how you're able to position for that premium price point. So um, I'm an educated consumer. You know, I'm really conscious of what I purchase and, um, and that's now become on trends. I think throughout, especially with millennials, um, and families within the millennial, um, age and mm-hmm. demographic. And so, you know, it's important to me, like I mentioned earlier, to know what I'm purchasing, knowing that the animals are being treated well, knowing that the practice of the production of the food is sustainable, um, conscious about the environment and also traceable and transparent. So there's a lot of consumers that either want all of that, like me, or they're looking for maybe one or two of those boxes to be checked. And Maple Hill checks all of those boxes, which is amazing. So we've had a lot of consumers who, in the beginning, we were more in like 2008 or 2009 to 2012. We were more in the co-ops and the natural specialty food stores. And, you know, the buzzwords of regenerative, sustainable wasn't as out there as it is now, even in the conventional food stores. So we did have a different type of audience, more grassroots audience then, but now that consumers are becoming more educated in what they're purchasing for them and their families, especially their children, um, they're really seeking brands like Maple Hill to feel good about purchasing, feel good about consuming, feel good about supporting. Um, So that's our audience. And it's interesting. Like I said, we started in grassroots, but now we're in a lot of large food chains that are like Walmart and um, Kroger's and Publix. And that's not a natural specialty food store. You know, that's more of a conventional food store. And consumers are seeking brands like this in those stores now. Mm. So we've seen a huge movement from 2009 to now, which is pretty incredible. Is it possible to scale this so that all or the vast majority of folks can purchase milk that is organic, grass-fed, and and I I'm, I think I'm using two words to describe mm-hmm. many, and I want to dig a little bit deeper about the various certifications and words and what they mean and don't mean. But because you know when I hear small the two, what what are the inputs that are required? One, family farm, right? It's mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. certainly going to be a family farm, and I go back to the fifty cows per, you know, acre moving around. So I don't know, you know, you need a bunch of acres and mm-hmm. <laughs> me doing math is mm-hmm. never, never good, but it, in my head, it becomes difficult to scale mm-hmm. to a point that I think we would all want, right. We would all want all customers and consumers to be educated to the point mm-hmm. that they're making one good decisions for the earth environment and future Two, good decisions for their health. Mm-hmm. Or do we have to be honest that it might not scale? What are we at? 390 million people in the United States. I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think most are, you know, what 80% are milk drinkers of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention milk is in uh, other products that aren't necessarily a glass, right? Mm-hmm. How do we, I want to ask it positively. How do, how would we get there? How do we get there? So it's, it would be a very, very long journey. Um, it is not possible to do within this probably 100 years, in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, mm-hmm. because we as um, 
as a nation and in the farming industry have completely depleted the soils, completely stripped the lands. It's been more industrialized, factory farming, mm-hmm. and it's going to take a long time to shift from that practice of farming to our style of farming, which is regenerative and sustainable and using the lands um, to help your livestock and your cows, your livestock and dairy and crops thrive alone, just creating a closed loop system on, on your farms. It takes a lot. Like I said earlier, there's like a transition period, just a transition for your price point and change your farm out to organic, hundred percent grass fed and organic actually. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the word organic sure, and the various seals in my view, there's confusion. In my view, there may be, if I may say, gen- say generously, some deception, right? It, where people, I believe that there's a lot of people that want to make good, right decisions. Yet when they they see a seal or they hear a word, they may not know the full meaning of that. I'll attempt to use chickens, you know, you hear free range and then I've read yes. free range can mean that they have, that they have like five feet of area mm-hmm. as opposed to mm-hmm. no feet. Or just, or just a door that they can open. And that means that they're free range. They're not right, that they're free range. You know, and, yeah. you know yeah. I, 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 I'm sure that there's some bureaucratic agencies we could discuss. I don't think it's going to be mm-hmm. productive doing that. More yeah. importantly, from the consumer side, h- how can one properly educate themselves if they're mm-hmm. interested in making the two decisions here, right? It's mm-hmm. ethical and health related. How? What would you say to that consumer? <laughs> Spoiler alert: It's me. <laughs> to to be able to make the right decisions with confidence. Uh, how how do they educate themselves in a world where there's just a lot of messages? There's a lot of words. There's a lot of like I said, sounds like this, but it's kind of like that. What yeah. should what should I be looking for to understand better um, to to be able to make the right decisions for for both? It's ethical. In my view, it's mm-hmm. both. It's ethical and it's, it's mm-hmm. also uh, nutrition related. So I can speak on the side of the dairy industry. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd say it was probably like 2000. Well, actually in the food industry in general, organic became huge about 15 years ago. And before organic, the certification was created um, to help, you know, help consumers understand what actually is an organic and what is not. Because there were a lot of terms that were being thrown around when organic came onto the scene with no certification or guideline. And so the terms were like natural, you know, (laughs) organically (laughs) natural. And there was no guidelines for anyone that they had to follow to have consumers feel comfortable enough to be like, oh, right. So they're saying it's natural. Does that mean that there's, they're still allowed to do pesticides and fertilizers? Yes, because there was no guidelines. Not saying every brand did that, but they utilized those, those trigger words in marketing to confuse consumers and jump on the bandwagon. So we found that from the beginning, consumers started hearing in 2009, grass-fed beef. That came on the scene before dairy ever did, before we came onto the scene. We were the first grass-fed, 100% grass-fed organic dairy distributed nationwide. We're the first ones who were on the shelf for consumers to actually find outside of co-ops. So 
there was a lot of confusion with consumers not understanding, and we still have that. This is still our number one job as a brand is to educate our consumers on what the difference is between 100% grass-fed and organic, 100% grass-fed organic and organic. So when consumers think of organic, they're actually picturing what our farms look like Mm -hmm. and not what those organic farms are actually looking like. So organic farms can be just as much of a factory farm as a conventional farm with confined spaces for the cows. They can be put into tie stalls or a barn all day and not, and just be left there for at least 70% of their lives. They do have a requirement in organic to be out on pasture for 30% of their lives, which is not a lot at all. So they're allowed to keep their cows confined, but also continue to feed them corn and grain. They just can't have pesticides and fertilizers and antibiotics and anything or hormones and anything that they're going to feed their cows, which is great, right? That's awesome. But we're still not feeding those cows the proper food that their bodies were built to consume. And we have four stomachs in a cow and their ruminants, and that's how they process the grass to absorb the nutrients from each chamber to one one chamber to another. And that's how the cows have a nice, harmonious, healthy life. There's no inflammation. They're not um, out of balance. Um, Their lifespans are longer. So when you transition, when you take a cow out of their natural environment and you're feeding them corn and grain as an organic, um, as an organic product, great. You're not getting pesticides and hormones, but you're still getting the inflammation and the product from a cow that they're not supposed to be eating, which then translates over to our food. Mm. So we have to be really conscious of the consumption. I should backtrack. We used to have a tagline. We should continue to use it. We just have so many amazing, you know, uh, talking points of Maple Hill, but we would, we had this tagline (laughs) that was, you are what they eat, not what we eat. It's you are what they eat. So if a cow is eating or a pig is eating Chinese food, you're eating that Chinese food. So what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get high cholesterol. You're going to get inflammation. You're going to get what that, that pig is eating. So you just have to be very conscious and, um, educate yourself on what livestock should be eating and seek out those brands that's doing it right. Okay. So we'll go back to the organic certification. That was awesome that they started doing that. Which is tr- tough to do, but it's difficult. It's confusing. Uh, I think like anything, yeah. it's just more education is needed uh, for the people that want to make the right mm-hmm. decisions to be able to truly make them. Um, I, I have a I have a theory that I've been wanting to ask someone for a long time. I think that organic milk lasts longer. Um, <laughs> it's right. You're right. <laughs> this is based on my highly scientific research of, for the most part, purchasing organic milk. But when, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, I can't, I find that it spoils faster in the refrigerator. I said very scientific, but I'm very convinced of it. Uh, is am I right? Is there a reason for that? Can we trace that back to how these cows are treated, raised? No, I mean, to be, to be honest, Scott, I don't, I can't answer that and have the right, I can't just, I don't want to answer that because I get enough, but I'm with you, Scott, like I, our milk, we can produce it. Like I just purchased our milk at Whole Foods and the code on it is the code out is end of June. We're in April (laughs) and I could still drink our milk through July, that June code out just because, you know, I know it's safe, you know, we have to do a specific amount of code of, of an expiration date, but, um, 
You're absolutely correct. And I, I do feel like it is the composition of our of the milk, um, 100% grass-fed organic milk and organic milk, possibly. I don't know. But our milk codes out like we could last, we could be on in your refrigerator for three months. It's also what time is produced and the in-between from when it's produced to the store. There's sometimes more of a lag time in between um, of the logistics and the operations. And then that starts to add date onto that product. Mm-hmm. So like- that's one that's one thing that I think could be a possibility that we produce ours on, I don't know, April 1st. We then get it to our distributors by, you know, 20 days later, and then they get it on shelf 15 days later, and we still have two and a half months out. But a bigger company, maybe like Hood, could produce in April 1st, and then they get it into their warehouse, but they don't ship it out till mid-May. Right. And then that takes the dates lower, you know, so it could be the, the size of the, the company, too. Um, and also their distribution and the speed of that. That could, that makes sense. Either way, yeah. I'm going to take it as me being right. Totally. Uh, you're absolutely correct, Scott, because I'm with I you. Just know it. <laughs> I, I, the, the, the times and they, you know, I, look, I'm yeah. not disparaging anyone that doesn't buy organic, but we try not right. to, but there's times for whatever reason I, I need to. Or, right. And after five days, I'm like, what? Already? Like, you know, right. we're, I haven't gotten through it all. So yeah. uh, credit to me for being right. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Julian. Guess that you were not involved with family farms and producing milk before you did this. <laughs> You're absolutely uh, correct. <laughs> it, it, not that you've said anything that I would question your expertise, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb there. But it's like most mm-hmm. entrepreneurs; they they find their way into it one reason or another, and generally didn't mm-hmm. have you know a ton of experience. But it leads for a more fulfilling journey. How did you get involved? When, when did you? When did you roll over and get out of bed and say, uh, you know, I'm going to produce dairy products? Um, well, it, uh, it stems back to just, it stems back to being a sister. Um, you know, my, my brother had his farm out in Western New York and Tim and Laura, Trent, you know, they, they, as I mentioned earlier, they needed to find a way to, um, keep the value in their milk instead of putting it back on a truck when prices dropped in 2008. Mm. And so we knew that they were struggling and they had four kids at the time. Now they have five and farming is hard, as I mentioned earlier, and they took a huge leap and decided to be farmers (laughs) with no experience of dairy farming, except for, you know, we grew up on a 20 acres, my brother and I and our two sisters. And we just had like, you know, cows, or I'm sorry, chickens, donkeys, horses, dogs, bunnies, but we didn't have cows, which is ironic because we all ended up in the dairy industry, you know, Tim and I. And so he was struggling and they needed all hands on deck. So I, I, as a sister, I was just trying to be a good sister. And I was driving up every week for three months on the weekends. I'd have a three day weekend, three hour drive, help them keep things going, help things on the farm, help the processing at the small little plant that they created for their farm store. And then from there, it was like three months in, I knew that there was no way that we could, that I could just leave. Um, You know, at the time I was married and Pete and I uh, were planning on building a house and we had no plans to leave our comfortable life in Western New Jersey at all. And I was at my grandmother's funeral three months after I started helping my brother out and he was sitting on one side and Pete was on the other. And 
I just remember I had this urgency and anxiousness and calmness all at the same time. And I realized at that time that I we had to make a change and I was going to go help him full time. And Pete was. And so I ended up talking to Pete that night and I said, what do you think? You know, why don't we not build a house and just go up and help him for a bit? And he said, yes, without a skip. And so we changed our whole entire lives um, and we left New Jersey and we went up and we helped him and Laura and we never, we couldn't leave. There was no way we were going to leave them. And we all ended up as partners and building a small business on the farm to help save the farm. And then we ended up uh, growing to 20 stores and then we ended up growing from 20 stores to hundred stores. And then we got picked up by distribution and then we ended up just going across the nation. It all happened very quickly. Um, so it was a sister supporting a brother and we still do that, you know, 13 years later. And uh, that's how I landed in the dairy industry. And I would never think I'd end up in Western New York and I never thought I would be in the food industry I never thought I'd know anything more than, you know, what you would see on the shelf for dairy. Um, and so it's been a really, it's a really interesting and rewarding and a lot of learning curves for the last 13 years for all of us. Um, but I'm, I'm so proud of our brand and I, I'm so glad that we are doing what we're doing, not just for us, but for other family farms. Um, our family farms under our Maple Hill Milk Shed and just the farming industry in general. So it's all been so rewarding, even though I wasn't, I had no idea I'd land in this industry. <laughs> that, that, that is just so, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I, I, <laughs> I can't help you. Um, <laughs> dare, dare I attempt to use, I guess, a bad pun here. That's in itself an organic story. It is, you're right. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about how folks can uh, get Maple Hill. So it's maplehill.com. Just yeah. as it sounds, Maple Hill. Yeah. Uh, if you go there, you can click shop now. It brings you, I believe, to an Amazon link. Uh, you're yeah. on Facebook at Maple Hill Creamery. You're yeah. also on Instagram is the same. You mentioned yeah. over 7,000 stores. Go ahead and, and name some of them. Sure. So um, Whole Foods, Kroger, ShopRite, Publix, Sprouts, Natural Grocers, a lot of natural food stores, a lot of mom-and-pop co-ops, co um, uh, we're throughout New York City, we're in California, we're in every single state you can think of. You can find at least one of our products in major retail stores, and it would most likely be our fluid milk, half gallons, um, which is whole milk, 2%. We also offer on Amazon our shelf-stable milk, which is pretty awesome. We were the first and the only on the market which is pantry-safe milk. Um, it doesn't need to be refrigerated. They're eight-ounce containers of our whole milk. That can be purchased on Amazon. Um, we offer kefir, cream on top, Greek yogurt, butter, which we just released. Um, so, you know, you can find us in pretty much every state, almost every store, um, but Amazon is a good place to land if you're, you want to venture in and see what, what we offer, and also Whole Foods. They carry a lot of our stuff too. Awesome. Sounds like you're pretty much down the street from everyone at this point. So. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will be checking to find out. Uh, let's yeah. put it that way. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, awesome, amazing story. Who cannot celebrate this type of story? Uh, but you. we appreciate you sharing uh, some expertise and just overall great overview of the dairy industry insight uh, as to what it's like for for small farmers uh, i think you've provided clearly 
you know, kind of ample evidence that uh, mm-hmm. there's there's strong ethical reasons to to be mm-hmm. purchasing milk that is produced in this manner. Um, and said, I'll step out on a limb too. Chef's Best is obviously involved in quality and has far more higher level experts and process for determining this as well. But I find that when I do purchase grass-fed milk, that there is a significant taste difference as well. Um, again, I, there, there's ways to measure that. I'm not going to do it, but <laughs> I have opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many reasons to support, but uh, including, you know, said it, it, these, these farmers, you said that they're kind of upside down anyways. What kind of mm-hmm. world do we want to live in? Mm-hmm. And I think that we all agree that uh, we at least want these options to, to thrive moving forward. So Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on and, and, and sharing those aspects of what what makes your milk truly different and how we can understand that as well. Thank you, Scott. I just want to I just want to end with, you know, it's not you're not just when you purchase Maple Hill milk, you're not just supporting a brand. Like I mentioned earlier, you're supporting small family farms, 140 of them. But continue to go to. You're, not, you're purchasing our products, but continue to go to small farmers markets because that's where a lot of these farmers are going to provide their good quality products to you as a consumer. And you're supporting local and you're supporting families. So support Maple Hill, but continue to go to your local farmer markets too. It's a great sure. overall message. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. This was fun. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Shelf presented by Chef's Best. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening to episodes. 